This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Happy Friday. Let's get into it. It is Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We are coming at you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Busy, busy show for you on this Friday. We have Flames coaching news to dive into. Here's we're in the final stretch. Before an announcement as to who will take over for Daryl Sutter as the next head coach of your Calgary Flames. The CFL season kicked off last night for the Calgary Stampeders. Albeit in disappointing fashion. Stamps fall in their home opener to the BC Lions. We'll dive into a Stamps report with Patty Dumas coming up a little bit later on today. The Columbus Blue Jackets continue to be busy in the trade market. They've acquired another top defenseman today and perhaps the top defenseman on many's free agent board ahead of July 1st. And uh, we'll expand on a report we had yesterday from Kevin Weeks of ESPN about Shane Doan joining the front office staff of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So lots to get into. Glad you're along with us. We're listening live here on Sportsnet 960 or listen to us on the podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcast, uh, Google, Amazon, Spotify. Alongside uh, two outstanding producers, we got Callum here today. We got us all along with us, and uh, we begin with the news that matters to uh, the people of Calgary more than anything, and that's the Flames head coaching search. We've heard over the last couple of days, finalists for this job. We're starting to be whittled down. We heard about the two internal candidates that still remained, and Mitch Love and Ryan Huska, perhaps Travis Green and Todd Reardon were still in the conversation. Well, over the last 48 hours or so, Elliot Friedman, Pat Steinberg have started to whittle down those names. And it was on yesterday's broadcast during game three of the Stanley Cup final. Friedman, uh, during one of the intermissions, gave us what appears to be the final piece of news regarding the Flames head coaching search. Yeah, so the Calgary Flames are one of two teams right now without a head coach. The New York Rangers are the other. Nothing is done until it's done, but the word is that Ryan Huska, who has been an assistant coach for the Flames for the past five seasons, is the leading contender, but nothing is done. He would expand on that uh, a little bit more on the Jeff Merrick show a little earlier this morning. I think you actually just called Uh, Ryan Huska a marshmallow. Yeah, go, go go with that one. Radio me. You, you've been radioed enough. It's time you started lashing out at everybody else. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I could already see the sports the the, the sports net headline: Flames pick marshmallow to coach yeah. them. Merrick. Uh, no, I, I think. Merrick, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, look, I I think I, I heard in multiple places yesterday that uh, it was trending towards him. I think the one thing you've always got to realize is that it. 
you know, these things can fall apart or there, there could be things that happen. But I'm under the impression that Calgary was, you know, putting it in place to for for Huska. And, you know, as long as nothing goes sideways, I, I, I think he's I think he's going to be the guy. As long as nothing goes sideways, I expect him to be the guy. So it sounds as though we are just awaiting official word that Ryan Huska will be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. This is the perfect time for you to chime in on the text line at 960-960. Fed feedback line is always open to you here on Sportsnet today. If it is indeed Ryan Huska as the next head coach of the Calgary Flames, how are we feeling about that? Uh, I think for a lot of people, Mitch Love, the current head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, was deemed to be the favorite of the internal candidates. But Ryan Huska's name never disappeared from that list as, say, Kirk Mullers did as this search went on. So if it is Ryan Huska, what does Ryan bring to the table? Well, it's a long list of coaching experience for Ryan Huska. Now 47 years old, a native of Cranbrook, B.C. Played hockey all the way up to the American Hockey League level back in 1999-2000. Was his last pro hockey season in the American Hockey League with the Springfield Falcons. A few years later, he would find himself an assistant coach with the Kelowna Rockets where he would hold that post for five years before taking over as the team's head coach. Seven years in Kelowna as their head coach would lead them to a WHL championship and a Memorial Cup appearance in 2008-2009. Then in 2014-2015, hired to be the American Hockey League head coach of the then Adirondack Flames, eventually becoming the Stockton Heat head coach for three seasons. They would miss the playoffs in all but three, uh, all but one of his four seasons, excuse me, uh, as the American Hockey League's head coach of the Stockton Heat and the Adirondack Flames. And then 2018-2019, hired as an assistant coach under Bill Peters, along with Jeff Ward, Jamie Pringle, and Martin Jelena. That's a post he's held for the last five years, obviously. Started with Bill Peters in that role. Eventually morphed into Jeff Ward's team. Eventually morphed into Daryl Sutter's team. Huska has been a presence working with the defensive core uh, with all of those coaches and running the team's penalty kill, which has been among the team's strong suits, I would say, over the last five seasons. And it now appears he is set to take over as this team's head coach. Now, of course, as, as Elliot says, this is all speculation until pen meets paper and the announcement comes out either Friday or who knows, probably Monday, I would assume at this point, given how everything's gone with the Calgary Flames this offseason. But Huska's a, a really intriguing candidate for me, and I think a guy that's well-deserving of this opportunity. And I I think it'll be very interesting to hear from Craig Conroy when this becomes official what separated him from a guy like Mitch Love because I think I know what it is I think it's that NHL experience I think it's five years under three different head coaches that make up the difference 
for Ryan Huskett to Mitch Love. I, I really think that's that's the difference that you're talking about here, and that's that's not a slight at Mitch Love. I think Mitch Love had, was very qualified for this job. I'm curious to see if it is Ryan Huska, what happens with Mitch Love. The Calgary Flames organization over the last couple of years has been very adamant on not only developing players, but if you haven't realized, developing coaches in their own organization. Kale McLean's a guy that's come up from the American Hockey League level to the NHL level. It would not stun me if Mitch Love was once again, given how few NHL opportunities there are right now, but how little he has left to accomplish at the American Hockey League level, it wouldn't stun me if, if Ryan Huska is indeed this team's next head coach that Mitch Love has found his way as an assistant to take on the challenge and gain some of that NHL experience himself. But you can't replicate what Huska's had the last five seasons. And some will say, okay, well, they haven't had that much success the last five seasons, it's sort of the same argument that people who were against Craig Conroy had. And I would always, I stressed this when Conroy was announced and the immediate reaction was, well, he was under true living. He was making those same decisions. Why would we expect him to be any better than his predecessor who he was underneath the entire time? I would say, I would quickly point to the fact that I think everybody reacts different when it's their choice, right? When they have the final say on everything, I think that's where you see the differences. I can't just because somebody spent a lot of time underneath a certain head coach or underneath a certain GM, you know, as a, an assistant or an associate or whatever the, the relationship is business wise. I don't think you can associate automatically what the, their, their boss or what their higher up did and automatically put that blame on them. Were they part of those decisions? Sure. But at the end of the day, we don't know where Ryan Huska would have differed from Daryl Sutter or Jeff Ward or Bill Peters. And the same goes for Craig Connor. We don't know where his decision-making varied from Brad Trelivings. So I would say, don't put the failures of those above a Ryan Husker or Craig Conroy onto them. Let them make their own mistakes. I think it does say something about Ryan Huska that all of those coaches found a way to keep Ryan on their staff and that they found value in having Ryan in the room and being a part of their coaching staff. A lot of coaches like to come in here with their own guys, uh, their own ideas, who know understand their systems and do things a certain way. Ryan, through five years, has seen different head coaches but has remained a constant on this team, and I don't think that's an accident. I, I really don't. I think that that's uh, a value to Ryan. I think it shows you what kind of communicator he is. I think it's uh, clear that the players value him, and he also comes with that sort of internal knowledge, as we talked about with Mitch Love as an internal candidate. Obviously, Ryan Husk has been at the NHL level the last couple of years, so he's well aware of those people at the NHL level. He's also spent significant time with a couple members of the Calgary Flames uh, when he was the head coach in Stockton. Those four players are Dylan Dubé, Oliver Shillington, Rasmus Anderson, and Andrew Mangiapane. All four of those guys know what Ryan Husk is as a head coach, and I would assume were, you know, as part of this process, asked by Craig Conroy 
or the management staff what value they saw in him during that time when he did have you know, the keys to making all the decisions at that time. So Ryan Huska potentially we're expecting to be the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. 960-960. The fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Uh, text coming in fast and furious here. I'll get to some of them here as we uh, start to react and start to, I would say, prepare is the best word for, for Ryan Huska to be named as the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, let's start with Larry from Calgary. Um, never mind. We're not going to start with Larry in Calgary. That's not where we're going on this. Keeping it on Huska here. Uh, this one here says, if it is Ryan Huska, congratulations to him. I feel bad for Mitch Love, but I also think he'll land a job as a head coach elsewhere. He is a phenomenal coach as well. Our pal Matt and Cochran chiming in. How's it going, Matt? Uh, says, uh, I'm higher on Mitch Love over Ryan Huska, mostly because Huska feels to me he's been assistant here under the last three head coaches too long to make that transition to the head coaching spot. Uh, Mike from Calgary says, uh, absolutely ridiculous. It's Huska. Love is the best choice, especially if Conroy wasn't lying when he said he wanted an offensive coach and wanted a chance to keep Phillips. Uh, Love knows those young kids. Uh, Sam says, if Ryan Huska is indeed the next head coach of the Calgary Flames, where does this leave Mitch Love? Perhaps an associate coach, or does he look outside the organization? Uh, Rob says, Calgary, I, I think Ryan Huska uh, is an excellent choice. I hope they manage to also get Mitch Love on board with Alex Tangay behind the bench. Uh, this one says, guys, do you think if Connie hires Huska, will Tree take Love to Toronto? Great show as always, boys. So let's let's dive into the Mitch Love side of this thing and, and answer a couple questions on that. Obviously, we don't know the answer until this is all official. I would be surprised if Mitch Love isn't asked to be a part of this staff for the Calgary Flames. Like I mentioned, Ryan Huska made that transition. Kale McLean made that transition. It makes sense for Mitch Love to also make that transition and start to get that NHL experience. So, first of all, I would be surprised if that didn't happen. Next point would be, as far as other opportunities, right now the Flames are in a unique spot because most of those head coaching jobs, as you heard from Elliot, they're filled up already. The only remaining job outside of Calgary that we know of that hasn't had somebody come in and fill the spot is the New York Rangers. And it sounds as though they're fighting between John Hines and Peter Laviolette as their next head coach for them to jump into Mitch Love as their potential next head coach would be a pretty big jump. Yes, I know Columbus is technically still an available spot, but we're just waiting until the month runs out for them to name Mike Babcock as their next head coach. So there's really not a ton of opportunity for Mitch Love elsewhere in the NHL unless he wants to take an assistant coaching job other than in Calgary, which, I, again, I think he'll be offered. I don't know that for sure, but I'd be surprised if he wasn't offered a spot on the Flames coaching staff and they allowed somebody else to take over the Wranglers at the American Hockey League level. And, you know, to to the point of, you know, Huska's been an associate for a couple of years and that, how does that bode for him as a head coach? Uh, the opportunities come at different points. I mean, it's not the perfect example, but I mean, Jeff Ward was an assistant coach for, gosh, like like decades. 
right? And that, to me, would have been more of a a concerning take to be a head coach than, say, the five years that, that Ryan Huska has been here. And you got to understand, I think, too, the transition that he's had for coaches has been kind of a unique one, right? The Bill Peters situation was so out of everybody's hands. They just transitioned to Ward because he was the guy that had the most experience and were hoping that he could be able to take over. And, and look, he did a pretty good job taking over for Bill Peters when it was all said and done. But that situation was sort of out of everybody's hands. He was then given the head coaching job that was probably out of his depth. And then they made the transition to Daryl Sutter. I don't know how many realistic opportunities that Ryan Huska had in those five years he's been an assistant coach to to have the conversation to be this team's head coach. I think this is probably the first real legitimate shot he's had at taking over here in Calgary. We know going back to last season, he interviewed for the Chicago Black. I believe he was a finalist for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, head coaching job. So he's garnered attention in other places across the league. And I, I think we have to understand too here, five years, you're mixing in bubble years, COVID years. There's a lot to it. And look, he spent five years as an assistant in the WHL before jumping to a head coaching job in the, in that league. And it worked out pretty well from my understand there's a complete difference between junior hockey and pro hockey. I get it, but it's not like it's new to him to take a couple of years to understand the process, to understand what it takes to be a head coach and then jump into that. So I, uh, you know, to sort of wrap this up here, I do think Huska is a very qualified candidate for this spot. I still think Mitch Love plays an important role for this for the Calgary Flames, one way or another. And whether that's remaining as the Wranglers head coach and waiting for another opportunity, or if it is indeed jumping up and becoming a member of the Flames coaching staff at the NHL level. Um, more of your text at nine six zero nine six zero. Uh, Jeff chiming in says, "I wonder how much love lacking NHL coaching experience impact the final decision." I was hoping for either Mitch or Ryan. If Huskins announces the next head coach, I'll be really excited. Great communicator, positive results running the PK and defense. Go Flames! Thanks, love the show. Uh, this one says, "Flames don't have the stomach to pay for a name brand coach." That's not true. They're paying a name brand coach. Um, they're just paying him not to coach right now. That's that's harsh, but uh, unfortunately true. And again, if there are qualified internal candidates, I don't have any problem. You know, not paying a brand name coach like a Gerard Gallant simply because he comes with a, a longer coaching pedigree. If you have a legitimate internal option that is a good one. And I think Ryan Huska is as good as anybody as an internal candidate. I don't think you always need to, to pay for the name brand in all of this. Uh, this one says from JD, uh, sure. Ryan Huska, uh, hire Ryan Huska's head coach. He's been in the flames organization long enough to keep the same old, same old culture. The franchise has continued since Cliff Fletcher left the organization. Uh, we have a cup. We don't want you to win one ever again. Flames ownership doesn't want to change. 
They just want bums in seats. Husk is a good experienced coach, but tainted by the history of keeping the not good enough to win culture that will never change. Flames will never win until they get a new, fresh approach with a different direction. Popular in the organization, but the same losing ingrained culture for 30 years. Uh, Dan in Cochran. Hopefully Huska's in Lindholm's good books. I would imagine that played a, a big role in it. Yes. Um, this one says Flames don't have a great coaching record. Uh, pick Huska and Love as assistants with Green as head coach. Covering the O&D with specific coaches is a good idea. Uh, this one says, great point. I hope Mitch is offered an assistant coaching position. I don't want to lose him. Is Marty Jelena still with the Flames? Sorry for my ignorance. No need to say sorry. Uh, Marty has been part of the Flames the last couple of years. He's more transitioned to a, a player development, less of the coaching role under Daryl Sutter. But as far as I'm aware, still part of the organization for sure. Uh, a couple more here. I'm guessing exit interviews played a part in Hoska as well. Players probably vouched for him. 100%. I don't think... Given everything Craig talked about in his introductory press conference about changing the culture and making this a more positive place to come on a day-to-day basis, uh, I would say that the players, I'm not going to say their opinion, but maybe their feelings on the coach and how they have interacted with Ryan would have played a big role in it for sure. Um, a couple more here. Uh, Derek and Red Deer. Uh, do we think Green or Reardon gets a spot on the bench or more likely Love, Tangay, etc.? I've always been of the opinion that Travis Green has made sense as this team's next AHL coach if Mitch Love was to move on. Um, I, look, I think Travis Green has a, a good reputation for working with young players, but his stint in Vancouver sort of left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, and it wasn't all his fault but I would be surprised if his next opportunity was at the NHL level. I think an AHL spot kind of makes more sense for him. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I'm still interested to see, like you are, Derek, if if Mitch Love is an assistant, uh, if Alex Tangay is willing to take a, a bit of a promotion. He's an assistant in Detroit, but could he be an associate in Calgary and that sort of offensive mind joins the coaching staff? I think that's an interesting one for sure. Uh, and we'll end on this one before we get out of here. This one says, sorry if I'm out of the loop, uh, but what happened to Kirk Muller? Nothing's really happened to Kirk. His name sort of fell out of the, the conversation, I would say, over the last week or so. He was always part of that internal group of candidates that we've talked about. But at the same time, over the last week or so, Frank, Elliot, Pat, the guys who have been on this story from the beginning, have kind of... Um, He's just sort of fallen out of it. So it, it seemed like as they whittled down to the finalist in this conversation uh, for the head coach, uh, Kirk's name sort of fell out in that sense. I don't know. Again, like we're talking about with Tangay or Love or whoever else, uh, I don't know what this coaching staff looks like. I don't know if we're talking about a coaching staff that's fully announced when the head coach gets announced, but um, I imagine given their relationship and given the time that Kirk Muller would be somebody um, perhaps that Ryan Husker would lean on. Don't know, but we'll we'll wait and see. I don't think he's out of the conversation here in Calgary, but I think uh, as far as the head coaching job goes, we can say he isn't around that anymore. Uh, so that's the news of the day. Thanks for texting in 960-960. Reminder, the fan feedback line always open to you. We'll dive more into this as the day goes on. I uh, did want to touch on CFL. We've got the Stampeders report coming up to kick off hour two. 
Disappointing night last night at McMahon for the Stampeders, so we'll talk about that. Coming up a little bit more, uh, we also will chat about the deal made today by the Columbus Blue Jackets with the New Jersey Devils. That sees Damon Severson on his way to Columbus. Second major move the Blue Jackets have made to uh, stockpile D. It was over Ivan Provorov in that three-team trade earlier this week. It's Damon Severson uh, today from the New Jersey Devils, so we'll dive into that a little bit later as well. Plus Shane Doan, he is a special assistant to the GM in Toronto under Brad Living. We'll hear from Shane and his reasoning for taking the job a little bit later on as well. Uh, we'll take a break, come back on the other side. Very excited to chat with Sportsnet's Donovan Bennett. They also host of the uh, Waggle podcast uh, for the CFL. So we'll chat some CFL football with Donovan coming up, plus his latest uh, article at sportsnet.ca on the PGA and live tour merging. And uh, well, it's not a great thing for the sport of golf going forward. We'll get into all of that and more. This is Sportsnet Today. We're rolling on next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Quick reminder, this Saturday from 11 to 1 p.m., join us for Grilling with the Flames Alumni Trail Appliances. Come on down to 6880 11th Street Southeast and enjoy a meet and greet with Flames alumni, including Tim Hunter, Dana Merzen, Colin Patterson going to be there. It's going to be a pay-by-donation barbecue lunch with proceeds going to Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids. Also going to be a chance to win a new barbecue valued at $2,200. Pat Steinberg and myself broadcasting live on location. Trail Appliances, family-owned and operated for 48 years with barbecues in stock, including Napoleon. For more details, visit sportsnet.ca slash 960. So lots of reaction to the news around Ryan Huska potentially being the next Flames head coach coming up uh, earlier on this hour. We dove into that. We'll continue to have that conversation, and I'm sure it'll be one that me and Pat uh, talk about when we are live on location tomorrow. So... Make sure you tune into that. So coming up, we got a Stamps report coming up with Patty Dumas, Stamps and Lions last night at McMahon Stadium, uh, and uh, an NHL trade to talk about. We haven't even talked about last night's uh, Golden Knights and Panthers game yet, so still lots to get to on the program. Uh, thanks for tuning in with us this afternoon. But uh, right now, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to welcome in our next guest. Uh, you know him, you love him from uh, all over the Sportsnet world, whether it's on TV on the Sportsnet.ca side of things, also the host of the Waggle podcast uh, with the CFL. It is Donovan Bennett joining us this afternoon. Donovan, thanks for uh, doing this today, man. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. And so much is going on in sports. I literally forgot what we're talking about. Maybe Stamps fans don't want to talk CFL <laughs> right now. We've got Anthony Bass going on, Live Golf, uh, the NBA Finals. So you guys tell me. Uh, what you guys want to talk about, but uh, I'm really well and happy that there is lots to talk about in sports. Yeah, hey, I, look, I brought you on. I was hoping to chat some CFL with you. I know you're doing the Waggle podcast over with the CFL, and uh, I love tuning into that, so I was hoping to chat some CFL with you, but you're right. All of a sudden, I don't know how much I can dive into. It wasn't a great start for the Stamps last night at McMahon. Not ideal, no, uh, <laughs> far from it. Listen, I mean, so what was fascinating for me, when you look at that matchup, when you look at the league as a whole, is new faces and new places, new quarterbacks. We talk about Calgary, not only a relatively new uh, starter, we've obviously seen the mayor in 
in big spots perform. But this is the first time from training camp to hopefully postseason, he's leading the team. He's the sole voice at the front of the room. And, you know, a relatively new voice calling the plays in his ear. But across the league, you, you have so much fluidity and transition at the quarterback position that we don't really know what these teams are going to look like, what they're going to look like to start the year, what they're going to look like at the end of the year. So I, I say all that to say it's all relative. I wouldn't be too concerned. I think we saw Vernon Adams Jr., who is in a new place, look really good, but he is relatively veteran in comparison to a Jake Mayer or a Taylor Cornelius or a Chad Kelly, where I am in Toronto, you know, being the starter, uh, really leading a team, being QB1 from the beginning of the year for the first time. So I wouldn't get too concerned too quickly. I, I think if the Stamps can worry about trending in the right direction in what is a very long CFL season, and tough to do, but less concerned about the actual wins and losses early in the year, I, I think you're going to be okay. And, and you saw some progress offensively throughout the game against what is, for me, the best secondary uh, in the league in BC. So maybe not time to sound the alarms just yet. No, and I was kind of in the same spots and you know, being in Calgary for so long, Donovan, the one thing that I've I've learned a lot over the years is that uh, I really trust the opinion of John Huffnagel and Dave Dickinson, two former pro quarterbacks, when it comes to evaluating talent at that position. Because since they got to Calgary, I don't think they've missed on a quarterback here uh, for the Stampeders. And I can't imagine going off of Bo Levi Mitchell and the legacy that he leaves here in Calgary is any bit easy for Jake Mayer to come into. And that's a tough spot. But again, I, I trust the two guys making that decision probably more than almost anybody when it comes to quarterbacks. Well, so here I agree totally, but here is, if you wanted to be concerned about something, I think here is where there is some legitimate concern. When you look at the QBs between those two guys, and really Dickinson himself was one of them as a player, but that have been groomed in Calgary. If you want to go back to a Jeff Garcia or a Dave Dickinson or a Henry Burris, or a Bo Levi Mitchell, or a Drew Tate, or now a Jake Mayer. You know, those guys who have ascended into that spot and then went on to do great things. When you look around them, they had a couple things. They had a squad of literal stampeders, like horses in terms of the wide receiving rooms, and they had real solid offensive lines. Offensive lines that were going to make you right, they're going to give you confidence, you know, you look at the fact that, you know, no one was all that surprised, but still a Hall of Famer coming out of that room. The fact that, you know, Derek Dennis no longer part of that offensive line. Somehow he was in the CFL top 50, but didn't make a team at training camp. Uh, but, you know, so you've got some left tackle concerns. And, and if you were to compare the, the two receiving cores that played last night, but even if you look at some of the better groups in the league, Edmonton in the province has an outstanding one. Is there a clear, here's our number one, here's our number two, and here's our number three that we feel really good about? I think over time, we've seen so many great receivers leave Calgary, and they've had an ability to replenish, but at some point, like, the well ends up drying up, and I think that, to me, would be the biggest concern moving forward. Yeah, 100%. You think about the days with 
Henry Burris coming in and the Jermaine Copelands, the Nick Lewis's, and you know, even Bo had a stable of of outstanding receivers. Markway McDaniel's a guy that comes to mind. Uh, you know, during his time, some of these guys that you could just absolutely count on. I'm not saying the stamps won't have those guys, but you make a good point, Donovan, that when you look at it, it kind of lacks maybe that star power that you once expected from the stamps receiving core. At least to start, right? It's not yeah. clear in terms of who those guys will be, and, and we'll have to see throughout the year if there are some names that emerge. How intrigued are you by uh, tonight and uh, Bo Levi Mitchell making his first start for the Hamilton Tiger Cats? How big of a storyline is that for you when you watch this season, what Bo's going to do in Hamilton? Super intrigued. Listen, a couple things. Uh, I'm not sure how many uh, households were watching the game last night. I haven't seen the Nielsen ratings. I guarantee you there was one household in Hamilton that was watching it, and that's Bo yeah. Levi Mitchell. A, you know, he was born with multiple chips on his shoulder. So this is someone who's highly motivated, one. Two, like, what have been the issues, you know, with Bo in terms of the conversations we've had him about him over the last couple of years? His health, right? Yep. Availability is your, your best ability. He either was not healthy or he was playing compromise. He was on layaway last year. He didn't play the back end of the year, was able to go into the offseason not really worrying about rehabbing as much, but more prehabbing and getting back to the level that he has. He's got a great training camp. He's going to start the year as healthy as he's going to be all year. So your fan base and your audience knows better than anyone. He's going to get off the bus, you know, looking high, low in his read progression, looking to push the ball downfield. And, you know, they bring in Duke Williams, hasn't been productive, uh, you know, since coming back from the NFL, but, you know, now he's, you know, not asked to be a number one. He can be a number two or three. They've got, you know, Tim White, who's emerging in Hamilton. They bring in uh, James the Butler, did it. Butler as a nice running back. So he's got some tools. He's motivated. Oh, and by the way, where's the Great Cup this year? In town, yeah. in Hamilton. And so I, I think that he will, assuming health, um, be able to be productive and put up uh, some numbers. And I, I definitely think, you know, he's out to, you know, have a Bo Levi Mitchell revenge tour and just show the league, like, yeah, you know, don't forget about me just yet. So I, I, I knowing what motivates him and knowing that, like, this is someone who, even when he was on dominant Stampeder teams, he had to be the perpetual underdog. He had to either find a slight or manufacture one. Well, he doesn't need to look too far right now. Uh, and so I'm very intrigued to see what Bo looks like in a, in a new uniform because they moved a, a player who struggled last year, but, you know, based off of his birth certificate is younger. Uh, and so, you know, Hamilton has really put all the ships in the middle of the table, hosting a great cup for the second time in short succession, a franchise who hasn't won a great cup in a while. And so we'll see if Bo can end that streak. And on the other side, uh, Donovan, early on in this chat, we've talked so much about the changes around the league and how everything is, you know, has been up in the air for what you're going to expect for teams. Here's the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, same old, same old. They've been the fr- the model franchise for this league the last number of years. Uh, funny enough, they've been the, the thorn in the side of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, especially uh, a couple of times. And Mike O'Shea and Zach Kalaros just come in looking like they're going to be a, a threat once again in that West Division. And 
sometimes I always find in the CFL, and I'm sure you notice this too as you, you watch the league, that, that continuity means so much to teams year after year. And if you're able to keep the same core and keep guys together, which is, is hard to do, whether it's NFL opportunities or injuries or free agency, whatever it is, doing what they've done in Winnipeg to keep that group around as long as they have is is really tough. And to me, it's the biggest reason they've been successful the last couple of years, Donovan. No question. I mean, the one really core piece that they didn't keep and potentially didn't want because they had a younger, new model from the same high school uh, is uh, Harris, Andrew Harris in terms of the backfield. But they've kept Adam Big Hill, you know, highly productive still, 72 tackles, two sacks and interception last year. Comes into this year, uh, 34 years old in his fifth year in Winnipeg. But he's only missed three games as a bomber. And I think that's the biggest thing is not only have they kept that group together, but over time it's tough to keep older players on the field. Zach Claros had real injury concerns that threatened his career. Uh, you know, never mind his ability to play. Aside from you know basically having to run around on one leg in the Grey Cup with an ankle injury, he has been really healthy and thus really productive. When you look at Jackson, Jack Coden, Willie Jefferson, you know those bookends on the ends of the line, you know have been highly productive and highly healthy. So being able to keep that core, but also keep that core healthy, I think has been the recipe to their success. And then also you know you know the other thing when you look at them relative to other teams is. They find good Canadians and they keep good Canadians. And Nick Dembski, again, you know, someone who coming out of the University of Manitoba, is he a tweeter, is a former running back, could he run the entire route tree? Evidently, he can. He's giving you, you know, 150 rushing yards a year and, you know, 700 to 1,000 receiving yards a year. And he'll give you 10 TDs and 65 receptions. Again, a highly productive player that they've been able to keep in that program for a while. And they, they bring the band back. Again, they move on from Mark Leggio, you know, their place kicker, which is, you know, someone who they've always kind of had a hate, you know, love relationship with. And so there's a change there. But they happened to lose the last game of the year. But let's be clear. They were still the best football team over the large sample size that was the CFL season in 2022. And everyone expects them to be pushing back to get into that last game of the year this year again. Uh, I could do this all day. We could do a full CFL preview if uh, if I had the time with you, Donovan. But I did want to make sure to ask you about uh, going back and doing the waggle again this year. Every Wednesday, you've got uh, a new edition coming out. How much have you enjoyed uh, doing that podcast and, and sort of covering the league from that aspect? Oh, so fun. Right, we just had a conversation actually with Chad Kelly, who is going to be QB1 for the first time since his time at Ole Miss 5-6. Uh, years ago, he's excited to take the reins, and you know I'm excited to have those conversations. Really pick the mind of you know my co-host Enoch Mwamba, someone who you know doesn't have to be playing football right now. He could be working, you <laughs> yeah. know, in the corporate world. He could be coaching. He could be in a front office, but he's still strapping the pads on and, and you know figure out how he views the game, sees the game, sees the trends throughout the league, and so it's really fun. And I, to be honest, the best part is getting feedback from the listeners and the viewers on YouTube because, uh, you know, the CFL fan base is so engaged and I argue so smart relative to what's going on in the league. And so football is the language, uh, you know, that I speak other than 
English and Papua, I suppose. <laughs> but there are so many other people who are speaking it at a high level, specifically around Canadian football. And so, you know, that puts a battery in my back that gives me lots of energy, as you can tell. And so I'm so happy that we've got football back again and we can be breaking down three, four games a week as we make the march into the fall and into the Great Cup. You talked about it there, but I'm, I'm curious how much you like doing it with Enoch and uh, the sort of perspective that he brings to it. He's had such a cool career being a first overall pick back in the day by Winnipeg. He's had a couple of, of NFL stints, and he's been around the league really to it. You know, he's been in Saskatchewan. He was with Winnipeg, Montreal, and now with Toronto where he's sort of found this this ultimate success in being a guy, obviously, that's, that's grown up in that area in Mississauga for his time. I just imagine that he brings such a unique perspective to, to what you guys do in that relationship player to player when you have those conversations too. Well, he's great because there is not a football scenario or situation that he hasn't been in. You know, he learned the game relatively late. So, you know, he's been a player that wasn't an impact player. He obviously was an impact player at the youth sports level. You mentioned the fact that he's a high pick, high draft pick coming into camp. You know, was the athletic special team that eventually, you know, found his way as a starter, goes to the NFL, is a high-priority guy coming into the NFL, is someone who was cut in the NFL, has been in multiple locker rooms and has experiences with many NFL players. And he's been the high-priority guy coming back into the league. He's been a star. He's been now the – he's in the role of the, like, sage veteran who's a bit of a coach on the field but is making sure – to be diligent with his body and manage his reps and is in many ways the liaison from the team to the coaching staff and front office. So he's been in so many different roles, and that's why I was really excited for him after such a long career with so many different organizations, different coaches, different teammates, for him to get his flowers to end last year, to play his best football when it mattered the most, to get his you know most outstanding Canadian award, but then also – the most outstanding player were. And so when he was on stage, you know, crying, holding his daughter, I'm not going to say that I was crying. <laughs> I was pretty excited. I was pretty fired up uh, for him because in anything, whether it's, you know, someone like you and the work that you put into uh, your role as a host or someone like Enoch who's putting so much into uh, his career, you want to see good things happen to good people. And you want to see people who put in the work get return on investment. And that is the case for Enoch. And it's funny actually now watching, you know, that he's gone on what seems like a five-month victory lap, taking those trophies and the Great Cup everywhere. Every time I turn on TV, I, I see this guy. It's <laughs> funny now watching him transition into his, and it's one of the reasons why he came to Toronto, into his, like, 240-pound, 6'3", pinball Clemens life. He's doing the talks at schools. He's getting stopped on the street. And he's talking to people for longer than he should and then late for all of his engagement. And so it's also cool to see that the horizontal and vertical mentorship that's happening, you know, within that Argos fraternity. So, yeah, I can't say enough good things about that guy. You um, always want to give him his flowers, even though when I ask him for analysis, he's overly biased towards the Toronto Argos. <laughs> Uh, Donovan Bennett along with us from Sportsnet, uh, host of the Waggle podcast with the CFL. 
Uh, before I let you go, Donovan, had to ask you about your latest uh, up at sportsnet.ca. Great article you wrote uh, on the merger between the PGA Tour and Live Golf. And I know uh, you had John McCarthy on uh, going deep with Donovan Bennett uh, a little bit earlier this week as well. Give us, uh, just for our listeners who maybe haven't checked it out, uh, your thoughts on this process. What was going through your mind earlier this week? I think like everybody, when this news started to come down that this was actually happening between these two entities, I guess three entities. What was going through my mind initially when I saw the push alert on my phone was why can't the RBC Canadian Open have nice things? This is the <laughs> yeah. second year in a row that their tournament is co-opted and overshadowed by Live Golf. Live Golf started the same week as the Open last year, and Rory wins, and he represented the PGA. He was basically the de facto spokesperson, and it was one for the good guys. And now, a year later, less than a year later, technically, if you want to go by the calendar, we have Jay Monahan on CNBC doing you know, uh, an interview saying, yeah, we're, we're partnering with Liv and we're taking money from the PIF, and this is a great day for the future of golf. What happened to the countersuit, my guy? What happened to the sports washing? What happened to the 9-11 uh, families who you used as a PR shield? As I wrote in the piece, if the writing room of succession decided that this was going to be the heel turn that they were going to put in an episode, the room would look around and be like, no, this is too drastic. Like, even Kendall and Shiv or Roman wouldn't go this far. But <laughs> here we are. And, and my main thing, because ultimately what this is uh, capitalist and uh, globalization, yep. and, you know, meeting each other, right? This is big business. This is no different than some of the mergers that we see by Fortune 500 companies. When our interests align and it actually is better for us to team up and find some synergies rather than have a mutually assured destruction and tear ourselves apart, then we merge and we figure out who gets how many board sheets and who becomes a CEO and, you know, we get the lawyers handle that. But the difference for me here is that when we've seen mergers in sports, because you can't have two leagues at the same time, there isn't enough eyeballs, specifically in golf. The WHA had to, you know, be eaten up by the NHL. The ABA had to be eaten up by the NBA. The AFL had to be eaten up by the NFL. What doesn't happen is it's not funded by a country in the Gulf. Like, that's not part of the merger. And so what I am interested in is this is precedent setting now because mm -hmm. it happened quickly. It took a year, and Live Golf wasn't even really successful. When have you talked about the next Live Golf tournament? They were getting less than 4000 viewers on television, what is stopping from a regime or a major company, maybe Amazon, from buying the two tennis tours or buying UFC and WWE? And furthermore, when you extrapolate that even further, the sports washing is one part of it, but really what you're doing is buying silence. Ever since Daryl Morey was really criticized for what he said about some of the human rights abuses in China and the NBA's basketball-related income and the salary cap went down, because major networks in China stopped showing NBA games, no NBA player has said anything negative about China. And thus, now that all these PGA players who didn't take the money to go to live are now owned by the public investment fund, they're not going to be speaking out about the rights for women in Saudi Arabia or the, the lack of rights for members of the 2SLGBTQ plus community in Saudi Arabia. So you can not only buy a sport, you can buy silence 
from a certain community. And I'm just really interested to see where the next dominoes are. Because it's not as if you're the kingdom and the regime in Saudi Arabia where you're just going to stop at golf. What, yeah. Why would you? Yeah. No, 100%. Uh, it was a great read at sportsnet.ca. I uh, highly encourage anybody to go and read it if they want uh, that. Or also, you can just check out uh, Going Deep with Donovan Bennett, wherever you get your favorite podcast. Uh, John McCarthy, national golf writer for the Toronto Sun, joined Donovan uh, to dive into all of that, what's next for Jay Monahan and the players. Uh, tons of great stuff on that, Donovan. Thanks for the time today, man. I really do appreciate it. Always love when we get you on. Uh, thanks for chatting some football with us today. Enjoy your weekend, man. I hope we can do this again soon. Anytime. And Stamps fans, just a deep breath breathe in out through the mouth into the nostrils wwdd what would dave dickinson do you're fine you're fine <laughs> donovan take care pal thanks man cheers donovan bennett sportsnet the waggle podcast for the cfl sportsnet.ca the guy does it all uh he joins us down the atlas Beach and sports bar guest hotline this afternoon really appreciate donovan uh jumping on with us cfl chat at the beginning tons to get to uh, love checking out the Waggle podcast for all things CFL. And, uh, yeah, going deep with Donovan Bennett. If you want some more on the Live Golf and PGA Tour merger, uh, Donovan hit it on a couple different fronts. His latest is up at sportsnet.ca or uh, on his podcast, Going Deep with Donovan Bennett, part of the Sportsnet uh, Network of Podcasts. You can go and check out his conversation uh, with John McCarthy, who uh, is a national golf writer for the Toronto Sun, about uh, some of the major fallout. For all of that, uh, we got to get uh, to a break coming up on the other side of the hour. Uh, stamps report. We'll dive more into the stamps loss to the BC Lions last night. Uh, your Friday stamps reports coming up around the corner. Plus, uh, news around the NHL and reaction to the Florida Panthers picking up a big win last night in overtime. All of that as hour two rolls on next here on Sportsnet 960, the fan.